Bags Radio, presented by David Garner Shields. What did I forget for a second? We were here in the Rollin Insurance Studio. Appreciate everybody listening in. How us- did you forget for a second? It's literally your first name. Well, it's because a moment ago I called Bronny Bronathan, and then yes. somehow you said, um, "What did? What? How did? How did we?" Get oh, to- you you said that Bronathan sounds like a combination of. John or Scott Clendenin's first name Jonathan. Yeah. And Brawny. And you were like, we could make cartoon characters. And I said, well, Broninger's already a caricature of a human being as it is. So we don't what need do more he- cartoon characters. What do I hear in the background? Let's go live to uh, California where uh, Ryan Broninger is. Hello, Bron- Ryan. This show stinks. What is that noise I'm hearing? It's the AC. Don't you turn oh, it off? I thought, I thought it was a CPAP. I thought it, yeah. I thought <laughs> he forgot to turn off no, the CPAP as well. AC. Hey, hey, I got that thing blowing snowflakes. Hold on. Thanks for making the bed for us. Appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you remember when we were at the NCAA tournament, I made sure that bed looked good, but it's all right. Ronnie, you can have the air conditioning on. I'm just kidding with you, buddy. How you doing? I, can, is it better now? Oh, yes, much. Much better. Much better. I, it sounds like it's going to go out and you're going to wait. It's you like know. 50 degrees. No, dude, you know what you do. Whenever the first move that you, when you get into a hotel room, is go find the AC unit, go as low as it'll go in terms of temperature, and permanently high fan. And uh, I don't care what the temperature is outside. If you don't have that thing having, you know, wake up with frost on the tip of your nose, it ain't cold enough. That's a Melissa Zane move. My mom does that whenever we travel. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, so talk to me about your travels and some of the things you learned yesterday there when you arrived. Yeah, it was a long day of travel. I left College Station about 5 a.m. and then um, got into Palo Alto after uh, the San Francisco airport's pretty pretty large and very spaced out. So it took me a while to get out of there and then uh, got to Sunken Diamond at about 1035 local time and uh, watched A&M go through a workout. And it was, I mean, like most Jim Schlossnagel workouts, it was extremely efficient. They did a lot of stuff and you could tell that they were doing everything they could to get familiar with the dimensions of the ballpark. There's a ton of foul ground. Um, the outfield is pretty spacious as well. So uh, they were doing, you know, infield pop-up communication, uh, pitchers fielding practice, team defense, cuts and relays. I mean, they went through a lot of stuff in 75 minutes, and they also got to hit uh, as well so that the outfielders uh, could could get some live reads off the bat and kind of see how the ball travels. But you know, they, they say it's two different parks during the day and at night. We'll see uh, how true that is throughout the remainder of the weekend uh, starting today. But it gave me kind of a reckling park at Rice vibe. And it's bigger when you look at it on like Google Maps or when you maybe when you look at it on TV tonight, I think because of where the cameras are set up, it makes it look smaller than it is. There's a lot of seating. I think it's like 4,000 seats and they're all chair back. Um, but it does give you like that that kind of reckling park vibe of how the the, st- the seating is tiered. Um, just kind of a, I don't know. We were talking amongst uh, some guys on the team and then uh, some members of the media. Just it, it feels a little like reckling park for some reason. Talking to Ryan Bronger, who is in California, got the baseball bunch here in the studio. All right, uh, let's start off, and I'll start off with you, Bronny. Who do you expect to get the start tonight for A and M? Well, I think it's a coin flip between Will Johnston and Justin Lampkin. And I think the only reason that it's a coin flip is because what Cal State wants to do to you offensively, though, they want to bunt, they want to play small ball, they're going to try to run when they get on base. And their head coach wasn't shy in talking to us about that. They said, we have to bunt, we try to play to the strength of our hitters. 
They don't have a bunch of power guys. I think they've hit 35 home runs on the season. And uh, so they've, they've got to manufacture runs, and that's the way they do it. So whoever they feel best about getting off the mound and fielding bunts while also throwing strikes, um, because, you know, like I said about that foul territory, you know, you throw a bunt away, and that's two, maybe three bases because of all this room here. So you've got to – whoever's going to be on the mound tonight, you've got to really trust them to pick the ball up and throw it to first efficiently. Richard, follow that up with uh, your thoughts. Uh, I mean, Brawny, I, I don't know exactly because Jim Schlossnigel's played it close to the vest. He's done that since he's been here. It's a little bit of gamesmanship. He hasn't announced who's going to start. But if it's Johnston or Lampkin, I would uh, expect to see Will Johnson tonight. Do you, are you comfortable with Will taking it? I am. I also think that um, if if you've got two guys, what factors into your scouting report on knowing who the winner of game one is? Because mm-hmm. you're the late game. So it could be something as simple as, you know, there's a shocker and San Jose State wins, you know, or you're putting your eyes on Stanford gives you something completely different of what the analytics and what your scouting report had been. Right. So I, I just – I think that I think that Will Johnson would be at a first blush, but I, I think it it could be a, a coin flip between the two of them. Ronnie, what did you make of Quinn Matthews getting the start for Stanford against San Jose State and them going with their their ace guy uh, with A and M potentially in the second game? Yeah, I thought it was interesting because the the buzz around the ballpark yesterday when we were there was that Stanford was going to throw off and pitch their second guy and try to hold Quinn Matthews for that winner's bracket game. And, um, you know, with AM not having a true ace right now, I know Troy Wanting has pitched the best in the last two weeks, but for them not to have a frontline guy from wire to wire like Quinn Matthews is for Stanford, I think that might, well, it, it obviously it depends on the outcome of tonight's game, but I would imagine Troy Wanting is going to throw game two no matter what because either A, you're playing for your season on the, your season's on the line and you're playing to stay alive, or B, you're playing to get into a regional final, and I think that's the guy that you'd want on the mound in that situation. So uh, Stanford, obviously, hugely talented roster. The pitching has let, has been up and down, similar to A&M all season. Um, their offense has carried the load. Uh, Quinn Matthews is clearly their best guy. I mean, he's going to look like every other guy that A&M saw in Hoover last week at the SEC tournament. Uh, so it, it, I think it says something, too, about the perhaps unknown strength of San Jose State. Uh, maybe David Esker, the Stanford head coach, sees something in their lineup. It's like, man, I, I just don't want to fool with it where you get into one of these deals and it's uh, you've burned your starter and then the game's on the line in the seventh inning and you've already and you've burned your starter with it. So, um, or not used your starter, excuse me, uh, your, your ace guy. So if you, if you get into one of these deals where it's a dogfight in seventh and eighth inning and you're kicking yourself because you didn't start your your best guy and you're holding him for a potential loser's bracket game, you get upset by the four seed. So uh, I think that's kind of where his mentality is right now. But uh, A&M, it's, you know, talking to Ryan Targot yesterday, it's, it's less about what Stanford and San Jose State and Cal State Fullerton do and more about what the A&M players do, uh, at least in their mind. Scott, were you uh, surprised that Quinn Matthews was going to go game one? No, not really. I think that, you know, San Jose State is a known quantity to uh, to them. I also think that it's pretty fresh on their minds, their struggle against Texas State last year. I mean, they had to win the, the what-if game to advance, you know, 
in a, in a situation last year. So they they're in to where they they know they need to uh, get off to a good start. Uh, I think that you and and uh, and Olin were you know along the same lines of who's a guy who's not going to walk batters, and I think that plays well to what A and M has done is extended bats, get pitch counts up, everything they did last week. But I think that's A and M's DNA. I don't. I don't think you can put somebody on the mound that's going to make that not happen for for A and M because I think the pitchers that they saw last week all are capable of going out and winning NCAA tournament games that they faced, you know, in each and every game they played last weekend. So they did a good job against frontline SEC pitching to 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 work those counts to to get the in the position to have the offense to make a run and play the six games in six days. It's got to be difficult for whatever head coach to to not only think about this first game. Yes, it might be a cupcake. Well, not a cup. Nothing's a cupcake. The easier of the game if you're the one seed or the two seed, right? But also think about game two and three and hopefully beyond. Yeah, and I mean, that's why teams like Stanford or, well, if you're a one seed, you're a regional host, you're set up better to succeed than everybody else, but... Your team with really good pitching, like we've seen from Texas A&M in the past, it makes those decisions easier, right? For the number of years that Rob Childress was here and they were regional hosts and they were on the road as a good two seed, they had really good starting pitching options, Scotty, so they didn't really always have to pitch back and hold an ace of Lacey for a game two, something like that. But yeah, I mean, trying to balance that and make the correct decision is got to be difficult. And I'm sure there's a lot of hindsight going into that stuff if a one seed gets upset but for a coach like uh esker however you pronounce his last name he's got quite the track record he's been to omaha twice in two years he's been to uh, he's got sanford in another regional hosting another regional so i think that whatever decision he's going with he's going to trust his gut and he shouldn't have any reservations about this the decision he's made as far as throwing matthews today to stick along that uh scotty i want you to respond to this this is something that we're talking about programs that have done a lot. A&M's, uh, the regional there at Stanford, um, is one of the three 16 regionals where all four teams have made it to Omaha. The others include Miami Regional and also the uh, Arkansas Regional. So these are teams that have ha- have some some skins on the wall. Uh, no doubt about it. And I mean, just because it's been a while for San Jose State and Cal State Fulton doesn't lessen uh, the, the history of those teams. Uh, before we get off of starting pitcher tonight, also, some you know, we saw Michael walk after throwing a Tuesday here for A&M to advance to Super Regional Florida State. The what-if games on Monday, sometimes you have a guy that you pitch him once and he's done. So you have no chance to use him at all on a Monday or a Tuesday in any way, shape, or form. Some guys are like that. It also sometimes factors in that I can get this guy back for a little bit of help at the end of a regional as well, so that's things You're we about don't. Quinn Matthews for game one, exactly. Right. We have no idea. Quinn Matthews may be a guy that uh, is, you know, a, a, you know, his normal bullpen. Hey, I'm a guy that has good stuff when I'm working my midweek bullpen sessions. That's the kind of thing we have no idea how Stanford is set up that way, right? And, and that's another thing to to look at. But I, you know, I know Cal State Fulton didn't win their league. You look at it; they're tied for second, but they're in NCAA tournament. Normally, that's a league that's not just a one bid league anyway. Mm-hmm. And they, and you know, tip your hat to UC San Diego to come in in a short period of time, be able to win that league by a game. 
I, I, I think that the, the, the more concerning part for, for Fullerton is since they beat uh, Arizona State on the road in a series, they've been 7-10 since that point in time. Mm-hmm. That was our high point. They peaked then. They've been on the downslope. They've got to write what they've been doing, and they had no conference tournament to erase the uh, the end of the season when you're sub-500 in a significant portion of your games. Right, right. I I want to keep it with Quinn Matthews. I think it'll be interesting to see how many innings he does go, going back to Scotty's point there, that you know if he does go, what, four or five innings, when we could see him again. Yeah, I mean, it's more about pitch count than innings, right? That's how you track fatigue and uh, throwing readiness coming off of a start. But uh, I think that probably went into David Esker's decision to start him today was – understanding that his ball club is so offensive that they can jump out on San Jose state, you know, get something like an eight to one lead, nine to one, something like that, get him out of the game early and then uh, put him on the shelf for a couple of days and bring him back out when you need him. But uh, I I think when you talk about Cal state Fullerton to Scotty's point, you know, they're seven and 10 in their last 17 games, I just wonder from an A&M perspective, it's kind of going all the way back to Kentucky to have any kind of semblance in the SEC for what they want to do. You know, you talk about West Coast baseball. That's what Cal State Fullerton does. That's prototypical throwback West Coast baseball. And that's what A&M's going to see tonight. And uh, I'm just super interested to see how the Aggies handle it because it's – you know, what Fullerton wants to do is death by a thousand paper cuts. Whereas whenever you're a week long in Hoover, it's a bunch of big giants in the batter's box that just want to swing and try to trade knockout blows uh, throughout the course of a game. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I have hope because of how A&M defended some small ball stuff in Hoover. I think two times, um, was it LSU and Arkansas, both tried to safety squeeze uh, A&M made the out at home in both of those. I mean, if those are well executed, you don't make the outs on those. So you got to got to feel like Cal State Fullerton, because that's part of their identity, is going to be more proficient at executing those style of plays. Uh, the key for the Aggies will be avoiding those situations where you've got multiple guys on in less than two outs. Uh, so the bunt game becomes uh, a factor in what the Titans want to do offensively. So it's a super interesting matchup, man. You just don't see – this held ball very often in the SEC. All right, let's hit a break here. We're going to come back. We've got some interesting stats that uh, Ethan Jones put together. I want to make sure I, I run those uh, through you guys. We'll talk about that and uh, how we got here on Texas Radio. Church town, there's a gold dirt road to a whole lot of nothing. Got a deed to the land, but it ain't Tex-Ags my Radio presented by Dave Gardner Schulers here in the Rollo Insurance Studio. Uh, we have the baseball bunch guys here with us. Scott Clendenin, Richard Zane, and we've got Ryan Broniger there. Uh, in Palo Alto. Let's uh, let's kind of go through how we got here. Richard, why don't you start us off here? Because the this season's journey to where we are now um, sure feels different than it did two weeks ago. Uh, just just some thoughts of what happened in Hoover and why there's optimism here heading into this regional. I mean, the optimism comes from the starting pitching, right? I mean, if you don't have those starts from Troy Wansing and Justin Lampkin, uh, you're probably coming into the, the NCAA tournament as a three-seed Lord knows where. And you're thinking, you know, still have to think, keep your fingers crossed for an outing like that from anybody. Yep. And now there's reason to expect that Wansing and Lamb can, can do it again. 
there's a reason to expect that Will Johnston, who also had a fantastic start in Hoover, can do it again. So you feel a lot better because the starting pitching has finally come around or finally shown signs of what they could be. Now, is it possible that it was just a one-week kind of thing out in Hoover? Sure, but, I mean, these guys are experienced. I mean, well, Lansing and and Johnson are. Lampkin's just a true freshman, but he's got the highest upside out of all of them. So there's certainly reason to uh, expect and hope that they can keep it rolling. And if they hadn't shown what they showed in Hoover, you'd kind of just be rolling in and still with your fingers crossed hoping for the best. And now you've got legitimate reasons to be optimistic that they could come out of a regional. Ronnie, where's your optimism meter right now when, when it comes to pitching? Well, well, I mean, I'm still in a wait and see mode, right? What are they? Are they what we saw for the first 55 games or what are they what we saw for the last week and a half in, in Hoover? And uh, I think that's the question that Jim Schlossnagel would like to have answered before the game start. But there's no way to know until the, the lights come on and they got to throw the ball across the plate. Um, at the, the, you know, Schloss always says hope's not a strategy. And they were having to do a lot of hoping with the starting pitching. Now, at least, you have something to build a strategy off of, right? So when you look at the games and you know what you know about your guys and how Cal State Fullerton wants to play, now I can go into that with a strategy because I feel like, okay, all of them have been in the strike zone consistently for the last week and a half. So based off of what we know about that, who who do we feel like is going to match up best with what Cal State Fullerton does? And then if you get Stanford in the next round, you know, Troy Watson's got some a lot of swing and miss type stuff. Is that really going to help you whenever you play an offense that is so explosive as Stanford? So I think what it's done is given belief into a strategy more so than create hope um, for the for the coaching staff. I mean, and again, I'm I'm excited that they had that week in Hoover. But for me, it's still kind of wait and see. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what are you? Wh- which version of Texas A&M is going to show up? The one that we saw from February through, you know, early May or the one that we've seen for the last month? Scott? I'm going to be a little more optimistic because I think Tennessee is as good a two seed like A&M as anybody in the tournament. And then Arkansas, South Carolina, LSU, Arkansas, or Vanderbilt are all national seeds. So – I think you did it, and you didn't have a matchup against Missouri mixed in there or Ole Miss, who's struggling. You did it against teams that were legitimate and playing good baseball at the end of the year. And I also think, as I said last week, the strike zone, as it was being called last week, is what I expect the strike zone to be called in the NCAA tournament was not the strike zone that we saw in 75% of the season. Yeah. I think Scott brings up a good point there. We don't know. I don't I haven't looked, Richard, I don't know if there's been a release about the the crew that's working the series or the regional here in Palo Alto, but that's something that's to consider is where are they from and do they have any familiar familiarity with AM? Um that's something that I'm sure because of how AM plays offense, Scotty that if the coaching staff got their hands-on list of umpires for this week, I'm sure the coaching staff has done an umpire scouting report so that these guys know, hey, this guy will expand away to lefties or whatever his susceptibility is with his own strike zone. 
you really need to know that going into a regional because of how AM wants to play, extending the bats, uh, raising pitch counts, fouling off pitches, a knowledge of the strike zone is going to be critical. Yeah, and, and just to your point, that I mean, that would be fantastic. And I'm sure Coach Schlossnagel and his coaching staff know and the coaches that, uh, that are in Stanford know as well, but I haven't seen anything uh, come across my desk as far as releases as to the umpiring crew that's there this weekend, Braun. Yeah, so I, 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 I would hope that the staff knows. I mean, it feels like that is going to play a big part, but I also believe just based off you know, what we saw in Hoover and what Scotty just said and then texting with Kendall Rogers a little bit during the week, I, I do think that the track man zone um, is going to be a little expanded going forward. I think in postseason play, starting with the conference tournaments and now in the regionals, I do think we might see a little bit bigger zone because I think it's something, an initiative maybe that was given to the umpires from the top of the top. And and Ron, uh, Ryan, I think if I you know I look back at the Miami regional when Ross Stripling couldn't get his curveball called for a strike when he you know not not his his you know in his sophomore year before he exploded onto the scene and that twelve six was such a key part and he threw it through the zone time after time for a ball not being called a strike gave him no chance to succeed against the Miami Hurricanes right. so you have to be prepared for that. Now, sometimes it's luck of the draw on you know who these guys are, and it just doesn't match up. It wasn't like AM wasn't going to throw Ross Sling in that ball game. But I just think that you see how that can affect it, and I thought that it changed the last uh, couple, three weeks of the, of the season uh, that the pitches were being called strikes that I would watch all year long in games other than Texas A&M that had been called balls. And, and I think that – you know, if you get a fair strike zone that that both teams can live with that doesn't take the ball to the middle of the plate, I, you know, college baseball does have an, uh, a higher level of offense this year. Everything that has always changed about what they did to the bats and what they did to the balls was this time of year because more eyeballs are on yeah. the game right now than any other time, and they don't want to see a bunch of 24-21 games. Let's hit a break. I'll, I'll go through those stats when we come back and also the recipe for success uh, tonight and beyond. It's Texas Radio. You know, like so? I can't tell. No, I was just, I think Scott was and I were talking about the game and Coral Gables today. And I was letting him know it's, what at, time is that game? it's at 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock. Texas Radio presented by David Gardner. Shoulders here in the Rollo Insurance Studio. Uh, it is the baseball bunch. Bronny is there in California. Got the, the guys here. Gentlemen, I'm going to bring up some stats that uh, Ethan Jones provided for us. And some of these may be Captain Obvious, but there is a little um, there's a little info in here that I think we can kind of chew on here. It says uh, Stanford, one of the best hitting teams in the nation, but doesn't have the strongest pitching uh, staff. Stanford has a 317 batting average, 12th in the nation, 11th in home runs, 1.89 per game, and a slugging percentage of .54, 8th in the nation. But pitching allows five walks per game, uh, 200th in the nation, and their staff has an ERA of 599, 157th in the nation worse than the regional. Ronnie, you start us off. Yeah, I mean, going to be heartaches. I mean, like, uh, not heartache, but like uh, high heart rate city, seems like if you get a matchup with a Cardinal um, at any point during the regional because uh, they're as offensive as any group in the SEC. The numbers bear it out. Now, you know, if, if you're looking at those and you want to be 
a little bit skeptical because of the league they play in, the overall depth of the conference. That's fine, but still, I don't care what league it is. When you hit over 300 as a club, uh, what they say was uh, 11th in the country in homers. Uh, they, I know they've hit well over 100 as a team, uh, and you got guys like Alberto Rios, um, and, and who is right around 400. He's over 400 with 17 homers. Um, and there are a lot of guys kind of in that neighborhood. Uh, the great player at third base, uh, Tommy Troy, he was fantastic for him last year and, and is having another really sensational season. So, yeah, Stanford's loaded, man, and the, the numbers bear it out. If you can get to them, though, uh, it is on their pitching side, and, uh, you know, it may make for uh, a lot of uneasy stomachs for every half inning that you got to go out there because you, you may score some, but keeping them off the scoreboard is going to be difficult. But, you know, I, I want to make sure that, you know, uh, the focus for this team, A&M didn't talk one ounce in any of the interviews yesterday. Nobody said a word about Stanford as a club. They were all focused on Cal State Fullerton. And I know we can look ahead because we're analysts and we're not in the dugout, but um, just the vibe of the team seemed pretty focused on what they've got to do tonight. Well, the reason I brought them up first is because this is conversely in these notes, and I'll let you take it from here, Scotty, if you want to start it off. Cal State Fullerton, one of the best pitching teams in the regional, but has a weaker offense. Um, they have an ERA of 4.96, 64th in the nation, uh, the best in the regional, and a strikeout-to-walk ratio, 2.15, the best in the regional, 69th in the nation. But batting-wise, 181st in batting average, a slugging percentage of 401. Um, and a uh, 34 home runs this season, 259th in the nation. And they were in the middle of their league. They were about fifth in hitting and I think sixth in pitching. So neither of those. But what they do, like A&M, is they pick it. They will play defense at a very high level. Uh, they're they're going to be – they were the top of their league defensively, so kind of counteract some of the stuff that you see right there as far as what their pitching staff does. Uh, you know, that's more a true number of the number of runs they get. You know, last year, LSU's ERA was under A&M's because they couldn't pick up a ball. and they But their runs per game were like a, a run and a half, two runs a game higher than A&M. But they were just so bad defensively, they, they led to a bunch of unearned runs. Okay? That's a true level of what Fullerton does as far as giving up about five runs a game. So you've got to be prepared to score the, against them. Their offense, like Bronny said, if they can win innings one to nothing six times, then they think that they're not going to give up three two-run innings or two three-run innings, and they're going to they're gonna be on the plus on that. That's what's kind of gotten away from them in this stretch down the uh, in their last 17 games is they haven't been able to do that. They haven't been able to bleed you, and they've had bad innings against them. But, I, you know, defensively, that's what I – I think that that's where they're going to hang their hat. I did watch them against the Longhorns, but that was back at, at the beginning of March. That I have no idea if that's the same team that they're going to bring, uh, you know, to bear here because they were playing better baseball there, but they also get up for the Longhorns just like everybody else does. Zane, any thoughts? Uh, sounds like Fullerton is your stereotypical – West Coast team that's going to play small ball, try and score one run at a time, and pitch and play defense. Whereas Stanford is definitely breaking that stereotypical mold and trying to hit, trying to beat your brains in uh, with the offense. Ronnie Justin in the back asked this question. He goes, "Other than Det, what right-hander needs to step up the most?" And and let's just think about uh, Nathan Detmer's role this this weekend as well. Yeah, it's interesting. Schloss has mentioned twice now in press conferences about bringing him out of the bullpen. 
Uh, maybe that will be better for his psyche. I don't know. That was the question I asked earlier this week, uh, and I asked it in the Luchador podcast, David, was when you're listing off the pitchers that you trust in a regional, how many of them are listed before you get to a right-hander, and then who is that right-hander? Um, because, you know, I, I, you're encouraged a little bit by what Chris Cortez did his last time in Hoover, but we've seen him just spray the ball erratically all season. So how can you trust him with your season on the line if he's going to put so many guys on base? Nathan Detmer's big issue this year uh, has been an inability to consistently finish hitters. He's in the middle of the plate a lot with two strikes. He gives up a lot of two-strike hits. Um, so I think that there's, if, if you want to be more optimistic, there's reasons there because he is getting an up counts where he has an opportunity to finish guys. Um, but man, if you're asking me what right-hander's got to step up, maybe we see something, uh, an extended outing out of Josh Stewart or Ty Sexton, um, because in Hoover, those were the two best guys. No, no doubt. Gentlemen, any, any thoughts on Nathan Detmer? I, I, you know, I, I just, for a guy that controlled the strike zone last year, the way he did for the first part of the year, I, because I didn't like the strike zone, I thought that factored into it. That's not, it's not the case. You're just not throwing strikes. And and he's got it in him. He's done it at this stage. But I also think after seeing what happened with Wansing after using him in the bullpen, where it was like, just go. We're not you, you're not sitting around all day knowing you're starting. Maybe that's something that it that it clicks for him. Because as important as Wansing is right now, fixing Detmer could do the same thing this season. If you can get past this weekend. Every guy that gets success in the NCAA tournament can, leads to more opportunities. Richard, if you get Notre Dame Detmer, does that ensure you win this regional? I mean, I know there's no I mean, for sures, but um, and do you need him to win this regional? Good question. Um, if you get Notre Dame Nathan Detmer, I don't think it ensures you win the regional because obviously it's a game played by nine guys, and there's other games like other pitchers are going to have to step up to and pitch well, so. If you get Notre Dame, Nathan Detmer, does that mean you get a really bad Wansing or a really bad Lampkin? I don't know what the trade-off is, but say you get good starts from Lampkin and Wansing. If you get Notre Dame, Detmer, absolutely, you're winning the, the regional. Now, what was the second part of that? Do you need him to win the do you Do you need him to, to win the regional? To be pretty good. I don't think so. I don't think you need him to win the regional. I think you can get through this regional without him, but it's got to be best-case scenario from everybody else. Ronnie? Yeah, I think if you get something positive out of him, it's just Lanyap, man. Like, it's just a cherry on top, a little something extra. So, I don't know that they have to have him to win the regional. They would sure like to have him. Uh, they would like to have him find his his best version of himself sometime between now and the end of the season. But the end of the season could be coming really, really shortly, like two days. So, you know, I, I don't know. That. I, don't, I think that positive vibes only. Be, yeah, positive vibes only. Well, I'm just trying to, I'm looking at it through a coach's lens. And so, you know, you've got to, uh, you know, best case scenario, you, I think you use him in a non-leverage situation uh, out of the bullpen and see if that sparks him for something later. Offensively, who's the most important player? Is it Jace? Is it Trevor? Ronnie, you want to start us off? Jordan Thompson. Jordan Thompson, because if, I think that Jace is poised to do some pretty special things in this postseason. And if that holds true, 
then what's going to happen to Jace is they're going to say, you get to go to first base, and we're going to pitch to the small guy behind you. But I do like – I liked what Ryan Targot no, did. No, you can't yesterday. take my guy. Okay. <laughs> All right. Go ahead, Scotty. Go ahead. I, I, I lo- and, and Ryan Targot, what he did in the SEC tournament, giving it from both sides – uh, they adjusted the lineup a little bit, and I I like where Ryan Targot is right now, and I think that he's a guy offensively because he's going to be behind Thompson. You've got to continue to lengthen this lineup, and I think that this lineup, when you saw what it did last weekend, that's the kind of lineup that you wanted to have because even though Coffers at the bottom is is still a guy that – that is is a, a freshman plus now. He's doing it by not just getting hits, but you turn those guys over. Yes, sir. Uh, he's he's raising his hand on Zoom. Yeah, by all means. Uh, you know, an, an addendum to what I said. I said Jordan Thompson because I think he's going to hit behind Jace. I should say whoever is hitting behind Jace because with the way Targot got going in Hoover and – I'm telling you, his batting practice yesterday was the best of anybody's on the team. Could Jim Schlossnagel go, okay, I could bump another RBI guy up behind Jace uh, and a guy with a little bit more thunder and you know, we'll, and, and make a, a change to the lineup? I don't expect him to do it because once he kind of gets settled on something that's working, he'll tend to stick with it. So I would say whoever's hitting behind Jace and then um, – Keep an eye on Brett Minnick. Maybe those few days of rest got him back to feeling better. Addendum. Nice nice vocab word, like Ronnie. Word. Sounds like the uh, the smart kids out in And he took uh, the whole Stanford bottom of the lineup, or, uh, too, so find somebody. Uh, rubbing off on you. I'll take uh, Trevor Warner as my most important guy. All right, so let's. Uh, we got about a minute and a half left, so each of you get, give me about 30, 40 seconds if you can. What is it going to take this weekend? Just give me the recipe for success to get out of there. Throw the ball over the plate. Be opportunistic on offense. Richard, you laughed, so you go next. <laughs> 30, 40 seconds. Per person. Uh, what Brawny said. Per person. I was giving you guys what 30. No, yeah, come on. He got nine that. seconds. First time ever. That's what Brawny said. I'll you got to give me more. I need to fill the 30, 40 seconds each. Yeah, come on, baseball analyst. I, I went to you second. I don't have that by my title, Brawninger. I'm the managing editor. That's why I'm here and you're there. <laughs> I think somebody's feelings are hurt. No, we're good. Okay. I think it's keeping Fullerton from running their small ball game. Take the outs they give you. Uh, don't let them steal first base. And I, I think that that's to, to get off on the right start because I, I really think that Fullerton, the way they play, is a team that, that can come back through the loser's bracket a little bit more than, uh, you know, uh, San Jose State, generally speaking, or Stanford. I think that they they that kind of West Coast style gives them an opportunity because they're they're going to try to do that every single inning, no matter who's pitching against them. Keep them from doing that in game one. All right, for our TV audience, gig them up, middle or down. What are we thinking about this weekend, uh, Ronnie? What is that? What is that? One hundred percent. I've never that is, had that. That is, you're going to order a hundred of these. Me? Okay. Yes. Why? I found them out here. They're chocolate waffle brownies uh-huh. 130 calories a lot of protein three grams of sugar you didn't find those the coaches showed them to you because roadie had oh, those no, no, no. up 
No, 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 no. These were at the get little like gas station market. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, these, that's not what Rody had. I saw okay. Rody have something oh, like that no up in the press box. Going on. For the record, I don't like chocolate. Or what? Sweets. Yeah, I'm not. A of chocolate. course you don't. Of oh, course you hate God. all things good. Yeah, I like chicken breast. Yeah, dry chicken breast, chicken breast, breast no salt, no pepper, white rice. Dry jasmine white rice, toast. which is white, but jasmine rice is. Fine. Do you want butter on that Imagine. toast? No. Dry. No. Yeah. Elwood Blues. Yeah. Yeah, that's normalized being healthy and living to be 120 as opposed to dying yeah, from cardiac arrest at 60. Shirt off, everybody. I'll do it on this show. Thank you, Bronnie. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate you guys. When we come back around Aguiland with uh, Kennedy Cabin, but right now we're talking about Millican Reserve, a farm-to-table community in College Station. They got homes. They got trails. They got wide-open spaces, and their mission is to build a healthy community around nature, and they've done that. Uh, with a beautiful place. They're dedicated to the conservation of a healthy community, uh, and they have respect for that native landscape and the wildlife that live out there. 2,600 acres of open space and farms and trails, just a cool cool place to go throw the ball, walk, and go hiking, and just enjoy your family time. As I mentioned, you can go hiking there, biking, canoeing, kayaking, equestrian trails, evening yoga, the summer camps, the music festivals, the farmer market tours, and the farm tours. And uh, a variety of native species live out there, without a doubt. Uh, they love living out there. You've got uh, the white I don't know if they love it. I assume they do. They just live there. White-tailed deer, songbirds, rabbits, and turtles. Check out the website, millicanreserve.com. That is millicanreserve.com. Eyes out from her baby bed. Brother runs in, feathers on his head. Mama's in her room. Sex Ags Radio, presented by David Garner's Jewelers here in the Rollo Insurance Studio. Kennedy Cabin, is this your first around Aguiland or second? This is my second around Aguiland. I was going to say, I thought you've done it once before. I'm a seasoned veteran now, basically. Uh, seasoned veteran? <laughs> slow down just a little bit. Let's go through uh, the sponsor here, around Aguiland, presented by Norma G. State Bank. Norma G. State Bank, rock solid banking. The website is normagestatebank.com. So you've gotten some praise on social media. Yeah. You've gotten, you know, a left hook on social media. I did. It's all right. All I'm going to say about it is I just want to say hello, old ag from the 903. I hope you're having a really good day. Um, let's be positive. But you did get one. Who was it? Dan76, who yes. said to you. He did hype me up. He is like, you're the greatest ever social media person we've had at TechSex. And I take that as a massive compliment. He did say the same thing to Luke yesterday and, and Kate Nagley okay. on Monday. That's fine. Yeah. And I'll, but I'm going to take it. I'm kidding. He didn't say that. On Friday. Well, we I'm just going to take it for the Friday. We appreciate your hard work today. And I know you've Thank worked you. very hard putting together a lot of stuff that is happening in and around Aggieland. So I'm going to let you take just it away. So, not and, a lot going around And you've got Aguiland? four minutes to fill. So go right ahead. I'm going to leave. Perfect. You handle it oh, by okay, your lonesome. Okay, 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 okay. Good yeah. practice for what's to come. Pardon? Good practice for what's to come what, in the future. Is that, uh, is, Are we announcing this? Or I think we should have my sidekick here before we ever say anything about it yet. Let's just say there might be a day there that she be. may say more on the radio than she normally there does. There might be a day coming up. You might get more of a platform where Dave, for a day. Yeah, for where David's angels might have the opportunity uh, to take over. But no, I didn't say that. That's just hearsay. You never know. I guess we'll just have to find out later on. It's going to be one of our most listened to shows. It is. One hundred percent. We'll talk about it later. We shouldn't. I think we've said enough. I think we've said too much. All right. So that's a good way to fill another minute. Let's get yeah. into around okay. Aguilar. So we don't have much going on around Aguilar because our students are gone. And but around Aguilar is everywhere. We got Aggies everywhere. everywhere. That's so true. Speaking of everywhere, baseball. They are at playing at the Stanford Regional. I know we talked about it a lot today. We just got done with the baseball bunch and those three respectful 
men. Knuckleheads. Knuckleheads. That's what I was going to say, but I was just going to, because one of them is it's, bully my Knucklehead boss. is a word that you can use like as a term of endearment and also can be yeah. like a jab, but okay, you don't know which fine. one it is, right? Yeah. You, you'll never know. I call my boys knuckleheads, but they're, I love them. They're like yeah. awesome. Well, but, you have to love your children. Do you though? Anyways, um, baseball starts the Stanford Regional today against Cal State Fullerton. Pit, first pitch is set for 9 p.m. And the game can be streamed on ESPN2. Um, this is the Aggies' 37th appearance in the NCAA tournament. Let's That's get, a fun fact. Let's if make it 40 soon. Let's make it 40. Why not? Real soon. Real soon. Within the next three years. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think we all remember what happened last year um, on their NCAA tournament run. That historic and really exciting season. I'm Bro- wearing... Remind me, what did they do? Um, they went to Omaha. Oh my gosh, I forgot all about that. Beat the Sips out of Omaha. Oh yeah, it was fun. And they beat Notre Dame they too. Beat, yep, it was just a real. I didn't like the Oklahoma games, but that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. We still had fun while it lasted. Um, track and field. We have 15 men and 13 women that advanced last weekend to compete at the NCAA Division One track and that's field. That's 28. Yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of Aggies. That's peeps. That's a lot of Aggies. So some of the uh, qualifiers are in high jump, 110-meter hurdles, 100-meter uh, dash, I'm guessing is what, 100-meter dash, mm-hmm. yeah. 800-meter um, run, 400-meter hurdles. We had two men advance in that. Um, and then for the women, we had one um, advance in high jump, 100-meter hurdles, 100-meter dash, 400-meter run, and the 200-meter run. Pretty. I'm impressed by that. I don't are know you if, impressed? I'm impressed. I'm not a runner. Never been a runner, never will be a runner. If you, know, you see me running, start running with me because there is something chasing us. Miss Kevin, I'm going to give you a little bit of advice. Not telling you to okay. run, but okay. I, I think in this next year, this okay. this you know when like starting tomorrow, yeah, we need to start embracing the things that you're not comfortable in doing because there's growth mm-hmm. in doing things you don't like doing. Running will never be one of those things. That's why you should do it. No, I used to hate not. shots, not give myself a shot. Yeah, and I'm really proud of you for that. But I will not be running anytime soon, voluntarily. We start off slow. We we do a half a mile. Probably not. We'll do it right out of here. We can do it right now. I'll, During the break. I mean, we can do a half mile in three minutes. Four absolutely minutes. not. You're going to have to give me about 12. Okay. Um, anyways. That, that's what my mom, who's 80-something, walks a mile in. But okay. Well, your mom's more athletic than I am. Well, this is true. Um, Sam Bennett started his professional career yesterday. As yeah. Know. Woohoo. Go Yay. Sammy B. Um, he shot one under par in the first round of the tournament, and he is it, tied for 19th right now. And I did get word that he is currently in line to make the cut, which I had to get kind of a definition on because I'm not that knowledgeable in the golf game. But he's in line to make the cut right now. Getting cut is not good. Getting cut is not good. Never been good. We've got a few seconds left. What else? Uh, Julia Cottrell got named to the National Fast Pitch Coaches Association All-American 13. Love her. Anything else? No, that's it. Go Aggie softball. Go Aggies. Yay around Aggieland. Go Aggie everything. Go Aggie. I sped you up. We actually have a whole two more minutes. Go ahead. Just kidding. There's no way. When we come back on Texags Radio, who's going to be on the show? I'm guessing Billy Lucci. It's Friday. It's Friday. It's always it's always Lucci hour. Lucci time next Woo-hoo. on Texags.